Hi everyone, welcome to your San Diego News Fix. I'm Christy Totten. San Diego musician Mark Big Toe Goffney has died under mysterious circumstances. We'll talk to music writer George Varga about that. Then deputy opinion editor Chris Reed will discuss the rise of anti-Asian hate in America. First, the news. The Senate on Thursday confirmed California Attorney General Javier Becerra as President Joe Biden's health secretary. The 50-49 to 49 largely party-line vote makes the 63-year-old Becerra the first Latino to head the Department of Health and Human Services. The $1.4 trillion agency encompasses health insurance programs, drug safety and approvals, advanced medical research, substance abuse treatment, and the welfare of children. Becerra has been California's Attorney General since 2017. Before that, he represented a Los Angeles area district in the U.S. House for 24 years. Non-essential travel restrictions at the U.S.-Mexico border will remain in place until at least April 21st, according to the Department of Homeland Security. The travel restrictions also apply to the U.S.-Canada border. Sunday will mark one year since this measure was first put in place, and it has been extended every month. Mexico will also impose restrictions on all land traffic for non-essential activities on its northern and southern borders starting Friday. The Flying Leatherneck Aviation Museum is set to close on April 1st, but Foundation members are asking the Marine Corps to reconsider the decision. The museum was founded in 1989 in Orange County and is now a part of the Marine Corps Air Station Miramar. It's the only military museum dedicated solely to Marine Corps aviation. The museum's budgetary trouble has nothing to do with the pandemic. The Marines said it's linked to year-over-year -year budget cuts to the base itself. San Diego musician Mark Big Toe Goffney has died. The armless guitarist played with his feet and was celebrated for playing on stage in 2016 with Mana, Mexico's leading rock band. The circumstances surrounding his death are still unknown. George Varga is the UT's music critic. George, Mark Big Toe Goffney and his ex-wife Anne-Marie Goffney were found dead in her apartment in El Cajon on March 2nd. What do we know so far about what happened? Well, we we don't know a whole lot in that, according to the El Cajon Police Department, um, there are no signs of foul play. Um, there is no known cause of death right now. What we do know is that um, the El Cajon Police went to uh, Anne-Marie Goffney's apartment in El Cajon after the family had made a request because they had been unable to, be in, to get in contact with either their mother or father for a number of days. And so they were concerned. And so there's a thing called a welfare check that the police did at the request of the family. And that is when they found very sadly the body of both Mark and Henry Goffney, the bodies of Henry and Mark Goffney. Goffney was a local guitarist here. He grew up in the San Diego area and he had other talents as well. What can you tell us about him? Yeah, he was, I, I can't claim that I knew him well, but I did interview him a number of times over the years, and I went and, uh, you know, saw him perform. Um, he was really remarkable and inspirational in that not only did he teach himself to play guitar and electric bass with his feet and to do everything else that you, I, or anyone else with four limbs would and could do, he was also a motivational speaker. He was a comedian who did stand-up comedy and, and comedy clubs. 
Um, he had a black belt in a, uh, a fairly advanced uh, type of karate. Um, so, uh, you know, any one of those things would have been pretty remarkable. All of them in one package is even more remarkable. Did you ever, you mentioned you did interview him. Can you tell me about that? Yeah, the, the first time, I think there had been a false start where um, a photographer at the Union Tribune and I had gone out to El Cajon to interview him, thinking maybe 20 years ago, and he, he, he didn't turn up. He had some conflict, and then for whatever reason, we didn't connect. Uh, but in 2009, he came to the office of the Union Tribune at the time down in Mission Valley, and um, he drove up um, and parked in front of the building. And I remember being already rather uh, taken aback in a really good way that here was a guy driving with, with two feet. Um, you know, he had one, one foot pivoting back and forth between the, the gas pedal and the brake, and he was steering with the other and driving quite well. I mean, I watched him come into a parking lot where you have to kind of do a loop around to then park in front of the building. Um, as he got out of uh, the car, I noted that he had his electric uh, guitar case, and I thought, well, I'll offer to take that for him. And no, no sooner did I offer than he went, oh, no problem, and he threw the entire guitar case in the arm, and it landed so that the strap came down on his opposite shoulder. Clearly, he had done this many, many times before. As he did that, he was closing the car door. We went into the main lobby, and before I could get uh, to the elevator button with my hand, he had already hit the up elevator button with his foot. Um, I had gone to a CD release party he did where I watched him autograph CDs um, with his feet, um, you know, so I'm reminded here uh, of interviewing Ray Charles in person and very quickly becoming aware of, despite the fact that Ray Charles was, was blind, he, you know, he could do pretty much anything he needed to do and, and uh, did it very well. You spoke to his children. He has three children, I think, in their early 30s and mid-20s. Uh, this must have been a shock to them. What did they have to say about it? Yeah, it, it definitely was, given that um, uh, the youngest daughter, Amanda, had talked by phone to her mother um, in late February and, in fact, had called her mother because the daughter, Amanda, needed a shoulder to lean on and needed comforting and her mother provided that. And Amanda Goffney told me they talked for 10 minutes and there was no indication at all that anything was awry. And then um, that was on February 26th, if I recall correctly. And five days earlier on February 21st, Mark Goffney, her father had come to the birthday party for Amanda's niece, the daughter of Elizabeth Wilde, formerly Elizabeth Goffney. And Mark was very happy, quote unquote, he had brought the niece a new outfit, a pearl necklace, a backpack, and the niece very happily did a fashion show um, for everyone at the party. Um, so, um, you know, as far as the family, meaning the three adult uh, children uh, could determine, there was nothing to indicate that there was anything uh, wrong. They told you a story about a Christmas card. Could you share that with us? Yeah, I, I meant to uh, include uh, this anecdote in the Ovid and uh, didn't have room, but when the adult uh, Goffney um, 
children were going through their uh, dad's apartment, also in El Cajon, um, after the bodies of, of him and their mother had been found. They found, um, and you know what, it may have been in the mother's apartment, but in any case, they found the Christmas card that uh, their father had sent to their mother this past Christmas. And it was a Christmas card from a husband to uh, their wife. And Mark Gaffney had written in front of wife, ex-wife, and then he had written something, I'm paraphrasing the effect, um, we may no longer be married, uh, but we're bound together for life. So it's a very sweet sentiment for um, a, a long divorced spouse to send to another, uh, you know, to, to the other divorced spouse. And I spoke with Amanda Goffey and Luke Goffey, and they both talked about what, what great friends their parents were, even though um, they had been divorced for several decades. Did their children have any idea about what might have happened? No, they don't. Um, again, the last conversation that Amanda had with her mother, the mother was comforting her and the dad's uh, demeanor and behavior at the February 21st birthday party um, for his uh, granddaughter was very upbeat. So no, uh, they don't. Clearly there are still some questions to be answered here. What can we expect? Are they still working on the case? Um, they are. Uh, the medical examiner's office is um, doing what, what they do in a case like this. I believe it'll be at least two weeks before we know anything concrete. Um, I would point out that um, while Anne-Marie Goffney was not well known to the public by design, she was, according to her family, introverted and did poetry and drawing and painting, that um, you can go on YouTube and find a lot of Mark uh, Goffney. And in fact, the, uh, the band Mana, the top selling Spanish language rock band in the world, they discovered Mark Goffney on YouTube when he was in Spain performing. And they were so taken by not only the fact that he could play guitar uh, uh, with his feet very well, but the way he was connecting with his audience. And as a result, when Mana performed here in, in 2016, a sold out concert at VA House Arena at San Diego State. They invited Mark to come up and perform with them. And they were so blown away by him and by how the audience reacted to him purely on an emotional level that they then had him come up to LA to play at the Forum, an 18,000 capacity venue with them. And I uh, uh, had an email from the guitarist in Mana, Sergio Valin, who was very broken up and talked very fondly of having uh, performed with Mark here. Okay, we'll be watching. George, thank you for sharing that story with us. Yeah, I wish I didn't have to, but thank you. Now let's turn to opinion. Chris Reed is the deputy opinion editor at the UT. Chris, the UT's editorial board wrote about the Atlanta shooting today and the rise of anti-Asian hate. Uh, what are the takeaways here? Well, the takeaways are that uh, much of our attention is focused on other communities, but uh, non-white groups across America all suffer from, uh, from preconceptions and stereotypes and from uh, just being treated poorly for just being different. I mean, I did the research on the editorial this afternoon and reading some of the academic studies, it's, it's stunning. They, they interviewed 165 high school students in 2010 
and 164 repeated being repeatedly stereotyped on the model minority idea, the idea that they just work hard and keep their heads down and that they don't ruffle anyone's feathers. It's just, that's an amazingly pervasive stereotype for a 99 plus percent of a group to face. And then there's other ones before, uh, you know, uh, the ones about uh, second or third generation Asian Americans being complimented for speaking English well, as if they're, you know, as if that's a shock. So I just think it's a pervasive issue. And, you know, we've had all the stories lately about talk of, of reparations for African-Americans. It's a debate we very much need to have. And it is a fact that in 1989, Congress voted to give reparations to the Japanese Americans who were locked up incredibly during World War II with President Franklin Roosevelt's blessing and the Supreme Court's blessing. So there's a much longer history. But one of the most poignant quotes uh, I came across when I was reading the editorial, writing the editorial, was from a UCLA psychologist who talks about uh, it's a problem that our issues are invisible. It's a problem that no one uh, that no one recognizes that we face the structural problems that other groups do, even if we may seem outwardly to deal with it better. And uh, her point it can't be made enough. It's if, if we don't acknowledge it, we're not going to deal with it. The quote you had about invisibility is pretty powerful. So, you know, now there is attention on this issue. Do you think the improved visibility is going to make uh, progress? Well, it felt to me like America made progress last year after George Floyd and the other killings. It seems like there was a group of Americans who previously dismissed this problem as real, this institutional racism, who were more willing to accept it. So it is my hope that the events of the past 15 months uh, uh, trigger a new appreciation for this among, uh, you know, for African Americans. However, I'm not quite as optimistic as I am about uh, what happened last year, because you have President Trump, now former President Trump, openly using racist tropes and having them repeated by uh, Republicans who used to be considered mainstream figures, like the, the uh, Republican leader in the House, Kevin McCarthy who normally wouldn't be caught dead using you know, racist descriptions of the, of the virus. So it's, it's uh, I wish I could be more optimistic. I'm not sure I am though. Yeah, I think Trump definitely did damage with some of the language he used. Of course, he's not the president now. I mean, do you see a change in the, the rhetoric there? There will absolutely, thankfully, be a change in the rhetoric. Uh, Joe Biden is, uh, is, is it got a sense of decency that, that Trump never had. But Joe Biden is also someone who's used offensive stereotypes in the past, joking about 7-Eleven clerks being Indians. I mean, it's just rank stuff. And he's from a generation, you know, 78 years old, that grew up, uh, you know, towards the end of World War II, when it was okay to, to use slurs and comics. I mean, I, I was always astounded as a little kid when I would be watching Warner Brothers cartoons, and they would start slowing around epithets against the Japanese. So... People of a certain generation, you know, you hope that they can, can bounce back and can see the air of, of accepting stereotypes and offensive phrases. But as recently as 25 years ago, Biden was making jokes about Indian shopkeepers. It's just, it's, it's, it's all too depressing. Yeah, this is the second time we've written about this recently, and it seems like the problem is getting worse, not better. You cited a statistic. I don't have it in front of me, but it's like, you know, maybe 3,700 instances of anti-Asian hate in the past year alone, you know, fueled by COVID, fueled by uh, racism. But I mean, what is needed to curb, curb this? You know, we say, hey, be nice to people, but is there like actually anything concrete that leaders can do? Well, I think they could set good examples. And certainly uh, Republicans who've, who've indulged in this 
it's it's just kind of stunning that they're they're doing this because there's evidence in the 2020 vote that uh, Republicans drew in a lot more minorities than ever than is normal. And so there's not uh, there's not a lot of evidence that um, you know Asian Americans will and will always be liberals or or Democrats because they're they aren't. And uh, so you know the responsible thing to do is to reach out. But there's also responsible things that need to be done to differentiate among Asian Americans. I mean, there's huge groups uh, of Asian Americans that are very much unlike other groups of Asian Americans. For example, the Hmong are poor and struggle with many, many things in ways that uh, uh, East Asia, you know, Singapore, Japan, South Korea just don't do at all. And so that, that gets back to the uh, I didn't have room to get into it in the editorial, but the stereotyping uh doesn't just go beyond the cliches about certain types of behaviors. It treats uh, all, uh, all Asians as the same thing. Now, we don't do that with Europe. We don't act like Greeks or like Britons, or we don't act like Italians or like Germans. We accept differentiations, but for whatever reason, we don't have a sophisticated enough appreciation of Asia, you know, that huge continent with 3 billion people, to accept that 3 billion people are not one and the same. This is clearly sort of driven by the pandemic, or at least the pandemic has fueled these instances of hate. I mean, do you think it is connected enough that once cases start going down, coronavirus goes away, hopefully this stuff will go down? Or is there something else that has to happen between then and now? Well, I think that it will get better uh, as soon as the pandemic uh, ebbs and as things get back to normal. There's no question that there's lots of people who are like on a scale of racism with zero being not racist at all, five having racist thoughts, and 10 acting out on racist thoughts. And I think a lot of the people who are at five might be more tempted to blurt out things if they've lost their job or if they've lost a family member to something that uh, Trump frames as being you know, from Asia, from China, from Wuhan. So I think things can get better. But the, the, there's one odd reason why I have some optimism for uh, the world, and that's Hawaii. Hawaii has the most uh, interracial marriage in the United States by a wide margin. And Hawaii has really turned into a pretty tolerant place and was from the day I got there many, many years ago. So uh, hopefully, if as America keeps getting more and more diverse and as uh, you know, races intermarry and become more familiar with each other, you know, hopefully we'll, that could help. But as far as broad societal issues, it just feels like we live in this world now where we have this narrow casting. It's the topic of my column for Saturday where people are just told what they want to hear. And people aren't telling uh, people saying uh, terrible things. They're not admonishing them on Fox News. They're cheering them on. You can find these stories online at SanDiegoUnionTribune.com. I'm Christy Totten, host of the San Diego News Fix. Thanks for listening.